Hello everyone, welcome to episode 18 of the Stay Humble podcast. Before this podcast starts, I must warn you this podcast does discuss grievances, mental health and suicide. So if you are listening with children, maybe better to listen to a different podcast. But this podcast episode, we need to discuss mental health right now during the lockdown. And my guest today is Luke Scott. Luke Scott is the founder of We Go Again Support Group and facilitator of Andy's Man Club Hull. At the end of the podcast, I will share details for both Stay Humble and We Go Again Support Group pages if you feel you need somewhere to share your thoughts and feelings during this difficult time. Now it's time to stay humble with Luke Scott. Welcome to Stay Humble Podcast, Luke Scott. How are you feeling today? Uh, thank you, David, for having me on. Uh, yeah, I'm feeling good. Sun's shining outside, but it's it's frosty this morning, so but all is good. Oh, that's good to hear. And just for the listeners, I just want to sort of exp- like get a bit of a background in terms of you know for the viewers and as well as like what have you know sort of what have you sort of been through in in terms of and to to let people know who you are really. Yeah, no problem. I'll I'll try and keep it short and brief. Um, Basically, I left the left school, uh, went straight into the army after a, it's a job I wanted to do from a, as far back as I can remember, um, and I, I joined that at seventeen. And by the time I was eighteen, I, w- I was medically discharged for a knee injury. Found my way through Civvy Street, and my girlfriend got pregnant quite early on after I came out of the army, and ended up having an ectopic pregnancy. So I was sort of eighteen. Uh, about to be a parent and then getting all excited about it and and it sort of come crashing down for both of us and then we sort of got through it muddled through it at the the teenage years not not knowing what we wanted to do and and still probably been quite immature to be fair but I think I think the child would have would have made us more mature as as people and, and adults and would have had that responsibility so there was a lot of grief going on um we didn't deal with it very well, I suppose, in a relationship. Um, things got a little bit tough. Ended up splitting up, splitting up, being on and off for a little bit. And then we got back together. Uh, she got pregnant again quite early on, which was great. It was every time we split up, we were still good friends and always supported each other. And then we got, got back together and quite early on, she got pregnant again. And that was fantastic. The boy was born healthy, happy, healthy, nine-year-old now. Um, which was all good and emotions were sort of come between us again and thing I suppose the immaturity come back and we're still I was I was only 19 when, when my son was born so still sort of finding my way in, in adult life but we knew we had a responsibility like I said that, that would have happened from, from the previous pregnancy and we muddled through it and we, we were great parents and Started being on and off with the relationship because it wasn't right for us, but it wasn't fair to have the child in that situation with us arguing all the time either. So we we was on and off, but like I say, still great parents and still very supportive of each other. And then we we, we got back together again, and she fell, fell pregnant again, very very quickly after. And just eleven months after our first son was born, we had a stillbirth, and it was crazy obviously turned our lives upside down and we didn't really know what to do with ourselves fortunately we had our eldest child to to focus on and and put all our efforts and energy into 
unfortunately, it didn't really give us time to grieve as, as much as we'd probably liked and maybe needed because sort of all our time was consumed. And I, I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean like it, our eldest child give us give us the smiles that we needed to, to continue and, and make everything normal for, for him. Again, because of grief and emotions, the relationship was on and off for a little bit. Still very supportive of each other and, and very good parents to, to our eldest. And then we, we did have a break for about six months. But after that, we'd, we'd realised that actually we have grown up a bit. We're, we're a bit more mature. Um, but in between that, I'd uh, probably about three months after the stillbirth, I was falsely accused of rape. Um, the police turned up at work one day and said, we need to question you down at the police station. I was like, okay, what's this about? And and then that come out. Um, told my, my partner about it and she was like the, the mother of our children. She was very supportive and, and supported me all the way through it and sort of couldn't believe that someone had, had say things like that. And yeah, so by the time I was 21, I'd, me and my partner had had an ectopic pregnancy, become parents and then become parents again, but lost the child. And then I'd been wrongly accused of rape and my life just turned upside down. I couldn't hold a job down for, for longer than sort of 10 to 12 months. I was drinking all the time and things just got on top of me. It come to the point where I was going to the pub to sort of relax. Like that's it's a normal thing to do to chill out on a weekend. But then I was doing it on my own. There was, there was no one there that I was planning to meet. And I, I just found myself in a vicious circle of getting drunk from Thursday through to Sunday night and then struggling my way through work without saying anything. I just bottled up my emotions and me and my partner ended up getting back together. And it, it's been solid ever since, really. We've since got married. It's been a good like six years now since we've been back together and like there's been no on and off. We needed that time, I think. And I won't say we needed them things to happen, but maybe if they didn't, we, we wouldn't be in such a strong position that we are now. And um, found got, got into a job that I was settled with and then our, our daughter came along. I'd only been in the job 11 days and I started panicking, thinking, like I was panicking all the way through that pregnancy in case it was a stillbirth again. And what if, what what am I going to do? How am I going to deal with it? Because I probably haven't, still haven't dealt with the, the grief of the last two losses and the rape accusation, as I maybe should have done at the time. So I, all the way through the pregnancy, I was I was panicking and really nervous and anxious. And I suppose it was just adding to my, my depression and my anxiety. Anyway, our, our daughter come along. She was happy and healthy. Them, them anxieties had gone and the depression had settled for a little bit. And it come to Christmas Day 2017. Our daughter was born in February 2017, so it would have been a first Christmas, all magical. And uh, family tradition, go out for a few beers on Christmas Eve. And I think it's it's a tradition for, for many people. I, I don't think we're, we're yeah, different think in so. that way. Um, and I just had enough. I, I started thinking I should be waking up to three children or potentially four if we went the ectopic. Uh, I just can't do it anymore. Um, I've bottled it up for so long, and I just took myself off to uh, to the Humber Bridge early hours of Christmas morning, and yeah, fully intended of of not coming off. 
that morning. Uh, the police were ta- police were called, turned up. I shut the Humber Bridge off for a few hours. Uh, and I'm not proud of it. It's, it's just one of them things, and it, it is part of my story. Um, ended up going to a mental health um, assessment unit, and while I was in there, they said I had to sober up, obviously, and before they could question me. But it took a, a while for, for the doctors to turn up. Obviously, it was Christmas Day. Not many people are working anyway, so services are massively reduced. Um, they come, questioned me, and, and said, you are right. And bearing in mind, I'd, I'd been brought off the Humber Bridge by police in handcuffs just a few hours before. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. And with that, they, they let me go. And the police took over from there, took me back to the police station and <clears throat> uh, questioned me. Uh, had a Christmas dinner in the police station. Terrible. Uh, warmed up lasagna. And I think the meat was green. It was awful. What did you uh, think about that, though? Can I just ask about, you know, the fact that they let you go on Christmas Day? Do you What do you think to that in terms of your mental state at that time? Should that have been... Should you have been kept in longer, or do you think that was the yeah? I think so. Now? Yeah, I think I, I, I probably should have been kept in longer, one hundred percent. And at the time, I thought, well, yeah, that's all right. I, I've still got these suicidal thoughts. I've, I've, they've let me go. You know, I've I've almost got a second chance to to do what I wanted to do, and it it's not it's not obviously a positive thing to do, and but it's the way that I was feeling. I, I could see everyone else's life around me better without me in it. And that includes my parents, my brothers, even my children um, and my, my partner. I could see better without me in it. And it was, it seemed like the last option and I didn't want to cause anyone else any pain from, from my, I suppose I felt like a burden to everybody and the weight had been lifted off their shoulders had I have been successful. But what changed anyway, your mind? Sorry, can I ask what changed your mind not to to do that in sentence? Uh, yeah, I, when I come out of the police station and started reflecting over the next few days of, of what had happened and sort of everyone was rallying around me and it was, I, I suddenly had a, a change of mind and not necessarily a change of mind, but I realised that, that people did care for me and, and they were there. And a couple of months went down the line. I, I thought something needed to change. I thought I was handling it well. I'd started exercising a bit more. And then just 11 months later, in November 2018, I was back up there again. Um, and I suppose in, in hindsight, only looking back now as we're doing this, that I'd stopped doing everything that I'd initially done after Christmas Day. I'd stopped opening up. I'd stopped talking because I thought I was doing all right. And then, like I said, November 2018, I was back up there on the Humber Bridge with the exact same intentions. Police turned up again. And uh, they took me back to the mental health assessment unit, the same one I was at just 11 months before. And this time, I suppose, it it wasn't a case of saying, yeah, I'm fine. I, I won't try and bottle it up anymore, I suppose. I, w- I was now in a position, I was sat in the, the same room where I'd been just 11 months before, thinking, I've got two beautiful children back home. I've got a beautiful wife and I've got all of this beautiful, well, she was only my girlfriend at the time, she's my wife now. Um, got all this, all these good things going on. Why, why do I feel like this? I thought I'd sorted it. And whilst I ended up staying in, in the mental health assessment unit for five or six days this time, which was good, I think, 
if I'd have said I was fine, they'd have said, you said you were fine 11 months ago and, and now we're back in the same situation. So I needed to be more honest with myself. I needed to to actually give it a go. I thought I'd tried everything, but I, I clearly hadn't. And then whilst I was in there, I'd, like I said, I'd changed my mindset a little bit and decided that I need to try harder to to better myself for, for the people around me because I am loved. My parents tell me that all the time. But, you know, my brothers tell me, and whilst I was in the the assessment unit as, as an inpatient, everyone come to visit me. So it proved that in in the times of need, when I didn't think they were there, that actually they were, because they were going out of the way on almost daily to come and see me at every opportunity that they could to make sure I was okay and what I was going to do and formulating a plan together. And I come out, I, I decided I was going to stop drinking for a little bit to see how, how that went because I wasn't an alcoholic, I just enjoyed a drink, and I suppose that's what every alcoholic says, but I needed to to do something to try and and change what I was doing. because Some form of release. Yeah, because something, the same thing that I was doing before to, to help or prevent how I was feeling obviously wasn't working because that's why I was back in the situation. So I decided to try and stop drinking, and that worked. I started running a bit more while I was being into fitness, and when I first went for a run, I stayed in the house like three days after I'd come out of hospital. Couldn't move. I could barely move out of the bedroom. I was like sort of too anxious and depressed to, to even move. I decided to go for a run and get some fresh air. And I'd probably done about half a kilometre and the, started struggling a bit and, and thinking, why am I even bothering? And even the, the sort of dark voice inside my head said like, come on, don't give up that easy, at least give me a bit of a challenge. So I carried on, I ended up doing 10k, uh, which I thought was fairly impressive because I hadn't run for a few months, but I'd always been into fitness and I'd always managed to keep relatively fit. And then I kept on doing it daily and I ended up losing my job because I was a bus driver. Uh, the DVLA revoked my bus license, so I couldn't drive. They took my car license off me as well for three months. I've managed to get that back. I ain't got my bus license back yet though because of there's all medical practices and things that you need to go through, but I'm not too bothered about getting that one back. Um, and I suppose the stopping drinking was, was a big part, but I used to run past a pub. Like if I was if I was on my way back home, I'd run past the pub that I used to go drinking in to see how, to see how strong-willed I was. But I purposely didn't have my wallet on me and I was in running gear and I stung, so I thought, if I, have, if I want to go to the pub, I've at least got to go home, get a shower, get changed, get my wallet and come back. And by that time, I can't really be bothered. So I was I was pushing the, the boundaries of, of my own willpower, I suppose, at that time. And I haven't such a drop of alcohol since. I'm, I think it's 800-something days total now. And that, my last wow. drink was um, the, the night or the early morning of when I attempted suicide for, for the last time. Hopefully the last time. Um, which was back in 2018. So, yeah, you know, like I read your story, like I said, was research, and it's really like sort of really got to me in terms of the fact like we are probably the you know, similar age to each other as well. And to hear like what you've been through, like in your, is it 30, 31, are you now? Uh, 29. No, 29, sorry, even 29, like I'm 30. So for me, like to hear like, like your stories, 
you know, to see to, to hear what you've been through was just really hit me in terms of and like I say, I would like to ask in terms of like what was what was like a, a turn like in your emotional state? What what do you feel was the turning point? Was it the alcohol or was the was the other things that sort of turned it like, you know, the sort of feeling of, you know, like leaving your children, like you say, you ch- attempted suicide. Like was it leaving your partner? Was it leaving your children? Was then the family was there the was that the catalyst in terms of changing your emotional state? Yeah, I think so. And I think, like I said, the, the first time when I was up, well, the first time I got stopped by the police was on the Christmas day, 2017. And I could picture it, like I said, I could picture everyone's life without me in it, in a in a better scenario, uh, even my children. But just 11 months later, my mindset had changed a little bit and I could picture everyone's life without me in it, apart from my children. And I thought, which is maybe quite selfish, um, to, to think like that, but it, it was probably them that, that saved my life in terms of stopping me from from doing it and going through with it. Thinking actually, my parents might still be better off, my partner might still be better off without me around. And like I said, I, I could look over the Humber Bridge and picture everything panning out in front of me. But what I couldn't picture is my children growing up without a dad. And it's, I suppose that's what stopped me or always a, a restriction that I was still trying to fight against to, to go through with it. And I suppose that sounds selfish in a way, but when people are in that situation and, and they think that that is the only way out, they actually think they're doing everyone else a favour by, by ending it all. Yeah, and, and and that's not going to do everyone else a favour because that you're sort of leaving people, like you say, just they have to pick up the pieces in terms of what's happened and stuff like that. And it's it's really it's just like I say that story really got to me. And 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 then when obviously you're wearing your hat here, like you know what influenced the start of we go again? You know, is that is that where did that entail in terms of starting that as a support group? So I uh, from. From coming out of hospital, I was given a care coordinator and she looked after me within the community mental health team. And I saw her weekly and she started, like we'd have a chat. It was almost like counselling or things like that, but she could put me in the direction of proper counselling, referred me to counselling and things like that. And she was suggesting these things that I maybe try. And I, I thought, what have I got to lose? I'm, I really want to give this a go, at least for my kids to be there no matter how how rubbish I feel. Yeah. As long as I'm I'm there for my children and, and doing the best I can. And I started attending these support groups and I got into boxing. I, I got into uh vol- well not volunteering. I became a, a service user or a, a client of um working for health, which helped people get back into work and remain in work after and during suffering mental health. And like I said, I got into the boxing. And one night I was I was coming home from the gym and I was aching like mad. And I was saying to myself, why do I do it? Why, what am I doing this to myself for? What, what's the enjoyment? But I actually loved it. Like <laughs> I loved it while I was there. The, the aches and pains after are just all part of the, the fitness and the training. And I, I said to myself, well, that's all right. We'll go again tomorrow. And I didn't think anything of it. But then I started using it more and more. And then I was like, okay, there's, there's something here. And I wanted to to share my story to, to raise awareness, I suppose, about mental health and 
and to share that people are alone and there is support out there. So I set up a YouTube channel called We Go Again WGA and started sharing my story, sort of what I've been through, similar to, to what I've just said uh, in, in here, but I, I did it on like me just speaking uh, rather than the, the podcast and being asked the, the questions. But And then I got a lot of positive comments and positive feedback about how I'd inspired people, how a certain video had saved someone's life. And I thought, that's great, oh. it, it's working. But now I want to be more involved directly with with helping people and, and having conversations such as what we're having now. And I set up the, I created a, uh, like a, an online e-commerce site. I, I had someone design me a logo and it was purely for brand awareness about the YouTube channel. And I thought if people are wearing my brand and wearing my logo on their clothes, people are going to ask and then the, the YouTube channel will grow. And it sort of a month after I'd done that, a, a couple of sales had gone out on the T-shirts, on, on the hoodies, and then I got in touch with another supplier and I, I got hold of some hats and some beanies and, and caps and things. And it started growing and I was like, this is great. Now I want to be more directly involved with the conversation, which is the plan. Uh, so I, I set up as a peer support organisation from, I, I still volunteer at, at five charitable organisations. So I was, I was getting the experience in and like I said, I set it up. I, I just offered some some services and just, I suppose, a place to chat for, for one-to-ones or, or as group sessions. And I hadn't really planned it through properly, but I, I started getting people in. I started speaking to people and then people said, how much do you charge? And I was like, well, nothing at the minute. But sort of, this is just a bit of a hobby to save someone's life and, and to, to help another person. And then someone said, well, counsellors are charging X amount and they've got to see someone for a certain amount of time. And I got thinking, so I set up as a peer support organisation where there's as little clinical involvement as possible. Um, if people want to speak speak to me twice a week, that's okay. If people want to speak to them twice a year, that's all right. The service is there for when they want to use it. And I now offer one-to-one support sessions, group sessions, public speaking events, sort of uh, corporate events, things like that I'm available for. But ironically, similar to yourself, I set up in, in the first lockdown. So the face-to-face won't, won't really uh, ideal, but I'm able to do it on, on online video platforms, Microsoft Teams, Zoom, things like that. And even if it's just a, a phone call to, to people like that, and I, I was speaking to a friend who, who runs a, a mental health first aid organisation who provides mental health first aid training to, to those that are, are interested in into businesses. And I said, look, how, how do I work out LinkedIn? Because I've never been on that before. Um, so he said, right, you you post something and I'll share it. He said, post the, something that you posted on one of your other social media posts about the night that you attempted suicide and that picture of you and your partner. And I said, all right. So I copied and pasted it, put the picture in. He shared it. And I think within three weeks to a month, it had four and a half million views, 90,000 interactions, 3,000 comments, and like 1,600 shares around the world. And from that, I've got a lot of clients 
I suppose, or individuals that I speak to. I've, I've got someone in Dubai that's currently writing a book about me and, and my story. Uh, speaks to people worldwide because of that one post, and it's it's just crazy. No, it is crazy, certainly in terms of like connections and stuff like that. And like, I think it just says so much about yourself that like you was even just willing to do week again for free. You know, like obviously, it's just fortunate that someone would would suggest to you to start like making it something like let's say comparing it to a counsellor and, and and offering you something like that. And what I wanted to sort of veer towards now is in terms of since starting it. What sort of the uptake been like? I mean, you obviously mentioned that like someone in Dubai even took it up, but like, what's been like the uptake in terms of the peer support group been like? Yeah, it's been it's been phenomenal, really. And like I say, when I when I put that post on LinkedIn, I didn't expect it to go sort of as as viral as it did. And I, I probably weren't prepared for it. I just thought I've got nothing to lose. I only got like ten or fifteen likes on Facebook or a couple of likes and shares on Instagram. But when I got four and a half million, I was like, right now I've got to put some things in place and sort of create the website a little bit better to the services I offer, uh, a contact form and and get all my, uh, I suppose, my merchandise together properly so that it aligns with, with what I'm doing. Mm. And it's been an ongoing process. That's all been going on in the background. Um, but the, I have had a lot of contacts and I, I just spoke to someone the other day, a, a student at university, uh, not not in Hull, but further afield, and he wants to use my story and keep in contact with myself about how we can promote mental health and, and things like that. So that that's just one thing that, that's come from it. But I've had, a, like I say, I've had a lot of clients or individuals that are, are suffering, and it's not just the people that are suffering that I support. If if that's if someone's got a friend or relative that's suffering and and they don't know what to do with them, then they can speak to me if they don't feel the individual will or other groups will. And I've been asked at work to to help set up a, a peer support group based on, not necessarily on we go again, but just getting people together to talk and, and have a conversation. And sometimes people will, some of my clients will contact me, they'll book in a session and then on the morning they'll feel, actually, I feel all right today. You know, that I don't think I need to, to see Luke or, or have that chat. I think I might maybe postpone it to next week. And that's absolutely fine. We can rearrange. And I, I work it all around my nine-to-five business, so, which is good, I think, because people, the majority of people are work the nine-to-five, Monday to Friday. So I'm able to offer that support when they're struggling at home alone because of the restrictions and the lockdown and, and isolation. Then I can provide that support at a time that, that best suits them whether that's before work on a Friday or after work on a Monday over a weekend. I even opened my, my business up on Christmas Day last year because I know firsthand sort of how hard it is around the festive time. No, I think that's... I, I think it's just really difficult to understand how... There's, there's obviously a common, there's a common thing that I like to talk about and that's like in terms of connection, in terms of like... Are there, at this current time, we've got so many devices, we've got so many types of software and stuff like that we can use to connect with people, yet we we sort of refuse to use it in a sense. I don't know if it's that interpersonal thing of being next to like being in person to do that conversation is the best way, but really we've got all these other ways, and obviously we're restricted right now in terms of having them sort of in-person things. Why why do you think people choose not to use that? I think it's there's still the stigma that's attached to it. 
And obviously in, in sort of mine and, and your role is doing this podcast is to build up that rapport with people. And I suppose from, from my lived experience and the people that I'm supporting and helping, it's there's almost that first 15 minutes of building that rapport is broken down because we already know, everyone knows what I've been through, which is why they're coming to me for the support. And it's having that common factor that whether it is, like I say, for someone that is struggling themselves or for someone that's got a family or relative that's struggling, I, I sort of know how they're feeling because I've spoken to my parents, I've spoken to my family, my brothers about how they were feeling at that time so I can provide that support. And it is, I suppose it's the the shame or embarrassment that people aren't using the platforms or they aren't connecting. Like I said, they've, they've got a mobile phone in their pocket, but they work with a friend, you know, that yeah. maybe lives in a different city because they're embarrassed about what they might say or, or the judgment that they might get back. And it, it's about, it's like what myself's doing, what you're doing on the podcast, what Rebecca's doing with the, the Humber CBT and what, what Ollie's doing with the, the Friends on Every Street. It's fantastic that they're, they're raising awareness publicly. I spoke to a, a social media expert about putting posts out and they said, oh, you need to do it at this time and because this is when everyone's online and you'll get more views. And I thought, yeah, that's a good idea. But what if I'm not feeling like that at that time? So everything I post, it comes real and raw as it is, as I'm feeling, as I'm typing it. And I, I think that's that sort of builds up that that support and inspires hope in others, which is obviously the, the long-term aim of, of myself and, and other people around me that are doing similar things. But we need to break down that that connection and, and the embarrassment factor, I think, and and not be ashamed of it. Yeah, we need to reach out more than ever, I feel. And part of your We Go Again, what sort of activities do you do with your sort of peer support group? Do you do affirmations? Do you do sort of like goals in terms of what they want to achieve each day? Do they talk about the achievements each day that they've done? What sort of things do you ask them to do? Yeah, so a lot of it, like I said, it's very little clinical involvement or very little clinical strategies. It's literally just about what what the individual or the group that I'm speaking to wants to engage in. If it's a group session, sometimes we'll just have a chat and, and almost a check-in and, and see how... How the, how the last week's been and, and what they've got on for, for the next week going ahead, knowing full well that last week might have been good, but today might be crap and next week might be terrible. But it's about what can you do in, in terms of adversity. And I, I don't really offer courses. I, it's literally sessions. If if I book a group session, I can book a, a course of sessions if I wanted to. But if people only want to come to one or they want to come to, for example, 10, that's entirely up to them. And a lot of it will go through how they're feeling and, and what they're doing about it and how I felt and what I did in similar situations. And it's not about you must do this because it worked for me because every, different things work for different people. So we'll just have a chat. And, and if they're in my local area, I might go for a walk with them. Uh, if they're struggling to get to a doctor's appointment, I'll help them with that. I'll help them get there. And, and that's the plan sort of post-COVID and, and things like that. Obviously, it's a little bit more tough with uh, the GPs sort of being overridden by the vaccine at the minute, which is fantastic that that's finally available. But, yeah, it's just about providing that person-centred support and and offering them something that, that they want to hear, but 
I'm not in a position to say, well, actually, just because you want to hear that, I'm going to tell you it. Because that's something yeah. I'm also honest. So if I don't think it's working at the time, then I'll try something different with them. And that it's it's just flexible to to the individual and, and the group itself. Yeah, I agree. And um, speaking of lockdowns, um, we are in the third lockdown again. And what I would like to ask you is in terms of how have you found sort of the lockdowns and the restrictions in terms of challenging your sort of mental state? It's been a strange one because I've been in sort of mental health work for the past sort of since before lockdown actually and I I haven't stopped working fortunately I've been in a position where I've been classed as a key worker so early on before I changed jobs to the NHS I was actually going out to work I was I was doing my normal daily job as a a team leader of a a mental health peer support team and that didn't really change but what did change is telling the residents what what's happened because it was a supported living accommodation it was about supporting them in that way um but for myself it's not not a lot's changed because i don't drink uh, i don't watch tv so i'm out running quite a bit but obviously there has been the challenges of, of homeschooling i've got two young children a nine-year-old and a three-year-old so there has been challenges that that everyone is facing fortunately in or unfortunately now in the nhs i'm i'm working from home which is as its pros and its cons like like everything does um, I like to be out and about. I like to be doing. I like to have that face-to-face contact because I feel that there's, you get the the raw emotion and you get better connection face-to-face. And it is frustrating because I'm a real people person. And although I don't drink, I'm happy to go in a pub and socialise and, and sort of have a laugh and a bit of banter with, with my friends or my family. Um, it, it has been tough and it, it's tough for everyone and I've said before, a lot of people say we're all in the same boat, but we're not. We're all in the same storm. We're all in different boats, unfortunately. Yeah, I think we really haven't maybe appreciated how lucky we were in terms of socialising with people. And I think we've now been able to appreciate the little things in life now in terms of having them social interactions with people and and just taking for granted like them, them times maybe where we were spending time with family and, and going out for meals and stuff like that. I think they're the things that I really think that we we will really cherish once this all ends, where we can actually go out and do what we want to do. And hopefully the vaccine will hopefully speed this up and hopefully that we're able to, 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 to go back to some form of normality. I think that would be such a great you know, thing to see in the future. And I'd like to ask you in terms of, just in terms of for people that might be struggling during this lockdown, what three things would you suggest to help them get through it? What three things? Uh, I like I like these. Uh, when I first came out of hospital, I used to use the term, what three things? And it was a, a daily task list. And after you've done the first three tasks, you then write another three down. But these are tasks that doesn't matter whether you get them done or not. So when I first came out of hospital, my first three tasks was, get out of bed, get dressed, make the bed. And sometimes it would take me a week to even do that. But then the time that I'd, I'd completed it and I, I had to write another three tasks, was brilliant. And then you'd, you'd build on from there. So that would be, I suppose, that would be, be one of them. Write down a, a list of, a small list of things to accomplish in the day. 
that actually aren't going to matter if you get done or if you don't. It's not something that's going to play on your mind. And it, it's when you look back at the end of the day and they are done, it's you feel a massive achievement whether you only get one one thing done or you end up writing another six. You've still achieved something. Um, and reading, I've taken up reading since lockdown. Just a little bit of time to yourself, whether that's 10, 15 minutes or if you're a, a confident, avid reader, then maybe put an hour a day aside if you've got the time. And my third and final and probably most important is get outside while you can, whether it is just a walk, walk around the block, walk around the park. If you're into fitness, go for a run, run around the park, run a little bit further than you normally would because getting out of the comfort zone is, is where growth really happens. And whether that's a run, a kilometre, do a couple of sit-ups and press-ups, run another kilometre, do some star jumps, do some squats, anything, try something new, learn a new hobby. No, they're really good suggestions. And I probably have to admit, like recording this in January right now, I don't think I've seen more people outside than ever in January at this time when it's this cold and stuff. People are, despite the weather, they're still making the effort to get outside. And and like you said about books as well, I will happily send you a few books across in terms of stuff I've read in the last year that I would suggest for you to to, to venture into. And what are the future plans for We Go Again? I know that you said to me or said about that you are looking to do, is it 12 marathons in 12 months for 12 different charities in this in the local area? Do you want to expand on about this challenge that you're setting yourself up for? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've always wanted to run a marathon and I planned on doing it last year and I got stricken with a bit of an injury so I couldn't train as much. And the furthest I've run is half a marathon up until December last year when a friend of mine was running an ultra, which is 60 kilometres. And I thought, I'm going to give that a go. He's running it in his hometown. Uh, I'll run it at the same time as him, uh, but around my area. And I got to 33 kilometres and I was on for on for a good one. Uh, and then I realised I had a missed call off the wife, so I rung her back and I couldn't walk and talk because my, my uh, GPS tracker was sort of messing up and it, it, I didn't want my speed to go down so I stopped and I had the phone call and then when I tried running again my knees had seized up and I was like I was up well past Hedden and I, I live in Hesel so I was, I was a good good distance away from home I had to get on the bus and come home I was really embarrassed um, so I decided that I wanted to to do something big I, I've always wanted to, to give back to charity so I decided that I'd run 12 marathons in 12 months for 12 organisations uh, in my local area and the organisations are um, Andy's Man Club which I happily facilitate at um, Working for Health which is another organisation that I volunteer at getting people back into work or remaining in work through the battles of mental health Paul for Brain Recovery who help people with acquired brain injuries to, to have that support that's available from Paul, who, who founded the, the organisation after his own brain injury. Uh, I volunteer for them as well. Uh, I'll be donating to We Go Again. I'll be donating to Mind... Tell me, I've got a list written down here. Um, and I will be donating to Sands, uh, Stillbirth and Neonatal Death Society, which is the charity that helped me and my partner when we lost our son to stillbirth. I'll be donating to Oscar's Chance, 
Um, I don't know if you know Oscar, is a son of a friend of mine who's got falling cerebral palsy. So they're always doing uh, charity fundraising events to, to raise money for, for his physio and, and the equipment that he needs. Um, another charity I've done it into is Rue's Army. Uh, we used to live next door to Rue before we moved house. And unfortunately, Rue was diagnosed with a, a brain tumour and they was in hospital for a long period of time. And we moved house sort of in between while they were at hospital. So we didn't get a chance to see them, but we are still so close. And my wife's quite close to, to Rue's mum. So they'll be going there. Um, I'll be also donating to Movember, uh, men's health organisation for prostate and testicular cancer and men's mental health and suicide awareness. Pull for Heroes, helping veterans in our area in, in various aspects of the life. And I don't know how many I've named, but I think I've named them all. Uh, and Vulcan Boxing, I, I'm a volunteer coach at Vulcan Boxing uh, down Doncaster Street, Heron Street. Uh, I'll be donating money to them. The aim is to raise £1,200 so that each organisation gets £100. Anything above that will be split equally into, into the charities. I, I think that's an awesome like achievement, like what you're going to set yourself up for. And I, I really hope that it's not just 1200 I, I hope it's a lot more that you raise for all them charities because that's what, what they deserve. And like, I'd like to now finally sort of ask you um, a couple of final questions. I've not sent you these through, but, you know. Um, so the first one is, what does it mean to be human? It's a tough one, and it's uh, it's one I've not been asked for a while. And it, it, I suppose it's even tougher to answer after multiple suicide attempts and not feeling human and being totally emotionless. And I suppose being human is, to me, being being kind and treating people the way that you would like to be treated, um, showing that kindness and showing that empathy that it is okay to talk and we together we can achieve more, whether that's the small goal that somebody wants to achieve for themselves together with a team around them of supportive people. It can be achieved without a doubt. That's, that's really true. And, and the final question I'd like to ask is in terms of what keeps you to stay humble? Yeah, that, that's another good one. Um, staying humble is, you see it quite a lot and, and it's a, a fantastic podcast and fantastic title that you've got for, for the platform. Staying humble for, for myself is is about not not bragging too much about the material things. Doing, I, I put a post out the other day on social media about people post on social media that they're always there to support mental health, but then when it comes down to it, they haven't got the time or there's an excuse that they can't actually do it behind closed doors. And it's about doing what you say when you say you're going to do it. For for example, for mental health, if you're gonna if your friend comes to you and they're struggling, don't tell them you haven't got time. Because just you're putting it on social media for, for likes and, and interactions when actually when, when it comes down to the nitty-gritty, you're not willing to sit there and listen to someone's problems because you can't be bothered. Sometimes you don't even need to say anything, it's just just been there but it's being humble is is doing things behind closed doors and and what you would normally rather than for social media mm -hmm. 
And Luke, what I want to do now is give you the opportunity, sort of a platform for people to reach out to you. You know, if we go again in terms of where can people find you in like, you know, sort of social media or where to search you up, really? Yeah. Um, so I'm available on Facebook under We Go Again. I'm available on Instagram, we go again.wga. I have a website, www.wegoagainwga.com. Uh, from there, there's a contact form. There's all my merchandise available on there. The contact form comes directly to my email. And if you've got any questions, any queries, if you want to have a chat, all sessions are based on you get a free 15-minute consultation, and I, and I work charge for that. Um, and then from there, we, we can organise sessions if you want on linkedin you can find me under luke scott or we go again give that a follow on youtube it's we go again wga and there will be more video and media content coming up on all platforms uh, over the year and promoting my charity event and i suppose i didn't answer your question correctly in terms of what's what's for the future for we go again there's there's a lot ahead for me i think um I want to, effectively, I run as a non-for-profit organisation. All profits that I make after business costs do go back into various charities in in the community and, and nationwide. Uh, in the future, I want to set up a, a drinks company under We Go Again that's a healthy drink company, not, not like a protein shake or anything like that, but a healthy type of water, I suppose, and that that's good for the mental state and it it's something that i'll begin researching in the next over the next 12 months while while doing all of this and just giving back and and growing the community and and the society that we live in and breaking down stigmas for for mental health and, and supporting those that need it whether it's through myself as we go again or directing them to to a service that might better be suited to them because I'm not one to just take people's money if it's not going to benefit them or me. Yeah, I I really hope that this conversation that we've shared for the sort of for the duration is going to help people. You know, people that listen to this podcast, I, I hope that this if they are going through a bad time or they are they're feeling the, the effects of lockdown and, and stuff like that. I really hope that just us two speaking about it, that is going to help people. And like I say, I'm certainly going to share share that in the podcasting notes as well in terms of you know any helplines or certainly your contact details as well to, to help people and I really thank you for coming on this podcast and, and sharing your story you know it's really it's, it's a story that people need to hear and I, I really appreciate you giving me your time for coming on today and, and, and sharing that so thank you Luke for, for doing that today. David thank you for having me on uh, you don't have to thank me for, for my time it's it's what I do um, and it's what many other people do. If I can get the word across to to even just one one person about reaching out and and speaking to somebody, like say whether that's myself or yourself or or just a friend or family member, to to start opening up about the mental health if they're struggling, then together we've we've achieved something. I would agree. So thank you again. Thank you. Wow, that was a deep conversation. And if this podcast has affected you. I have a few helplines or support groups to help you during this difficult time. If you are based in Hull, there is Let's Talk and their number is 01482 247 111 
or if you're in the East Riding, rapid response is 01482 301 or 701. Or if you're looking for any support groups or support bubbles, then there's my support bubble or Stay Humble support bubble. And if you email me at podcaststayhumble at gmail.com or you could contact Luke and his is through We Go Again, which his email address is wegoagain.wga at outlook.com.